Welcome to Animals Today, your home for a serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. We have a great show in store for you today, so I hope you'll stay with us for the entire hour. And we're going to begin speaking about and learning about one of my favorite, well, one of America's favorite animals, the eagle. Animals Today is a project of the nonprofit animal welfare organization Advancing the Interests of Animals. Peter and I volunteer our time and efforts to bring you interesting and timely stories, news, and features from around the world each week. And there's always something worth talking about in the world of animal rights and animal welfare. I want to remind you to join us on Facebook, where we post each show on the Advancing the Interests of Animals page. And please join the discussion there. You can also go to animalstodayradio.com to listen. And of course, you can go to iTunes, and I encourage you to subscribe to Animals Today there. Now on to the Eagles. And I want to begin by telling you about the three main events or commemorations having to do with these majestic birds. First on the calendar is Save the Eagles Day, which occurs on January 10th. And on June 20th each year is American Eagle Day, promoted by the American Eagle Foundation. This day commemorates the anniversary of the bald eagle becoming our national symbol, and the American Eagle Foundation is working hard to make June 20th a recognized official national holiday. And finally, many communities around the country have bald eagle appreciation days or weekend events, especially in January and February. Oh, by the way, we're also going to be speaking about the golden eagle. So don't worry that the other North American eagle is being neglected. One fun thing to do on American Eagle Day, in addition to listening to animals today, is checking out one of the many eagle cams online. So interesting to get up close and watch them raise their young and bring food back to the nest. Hey, Lori, and you know, when I think about bald eagles, I always go back to the founding fathers and how the eagle became our national symbol. Do you ever wonder about that? And I remember this story about Ben Franklin about him wanting the turkey to become part of the national seal or the national animal of the newly formed nation. And, you know, I wanted to find out if that was true or not. So I'll tell you what I learned in a moment. But, you know, after the Declaration of Independence was signed, the Continental Congress gave the job of designing an official seal. You need a seal, new country, to uh, Benjamin Franklin Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson, and John Adams. And they failed their initial attempts to create a seal. And finally, the task was given to a gentleman named Charles Thompson. He was the Secretary of Congress. And Thompson looked at some of the prior renderings and pulled some of the elements. And in particular, he got rid of a little white eagle that they had in one of the previous renderings. And added the American bald eagle. And right away, this new drawing, and we'll post the neat drawing that he sketched, and you'll see the American bald eagle and its first inclusion on our national seal. And then the official seal was created from that, and you will recognize it today with the eagle with its outstretched wings, the shield on its chest. And you know, Lori, do you know what the eagle is grasping in one talon he's got the 13 arrows right and in the other an olive branch even though we look at this symbol many times every day would you have remembered exactly that little factoid anyway here's the deal on franklin my research finds that franklin made no vocal or written objection to the bald eagle becoming part of the national seal but there's a letter he wrote to his daughter after the seal was adopted and he writes 
For my own part, I wish the bald eagle had not been chosen representative of our country. He is a bird of bad moral character. He does not get his living honestly. You may have seen him perched on some dead tree near the river where, too lazy to fish for himself, he watches the labor of the fishing hawk. And when that diligent bird has at length taken a fish and is bearing it to his nest for the support of his mate and his young ones, the bald eagle pursues him and takes it from him. And then he continues, the turkey is in comparison a much more respectable bird and withal a true original native of America. So that is from Ben Franklin himself in a letter to his daughter. And uh, he liked the turkey. Oh, and one more thing I wanted to add. Did you know there's a reverse of our official seal? And that is the drawing that has the unfinished pyramid and the zenith eye. There's a lot of speculation as to where this came from, but there is a reverse and you can see it on some of our currency. Anyway, I'll post all this so you can see these examples. There's a lot of interesting things uh, written about our great seal. Now back to the bald eagle. Uh, bald eagle is one of two eagle species in North America, two main ones, the other being the golden eagle. The uh, bald eagle was very prevalent at the onset of the United States, but it was not really uh, thought of very highly. The uh, settlers uh, saw the bird as competing for natural resources, taking their fish, messing around with their livestock, and consequently they killed the eagles and they also killed them for sport. Native Americans trapped and killed the eagles and used the feathers for ceremonial purposes. It's thought that before European settlement, there were up to a half a million bald eagles across North America. And get this, as late as the mid-1800s, eagles in the winter were reportedly seen in Central Park in Manhattan. They had caught their fish in the nearby rivers and brought them to the park to munch on them. But the eagle populations continued dwindling and dwindling and... Ultimately, it was recognized that some legislation was needed, and in 1940, Congress passed the Bald Eagle Protection Act. This outlawed killing and disturbing of eagles, and you were not allowed to possess parts of eagles, including nests, eggs, and feathers. However, this uh, act was really not strictly enforced. The hunting, which included bounty hunting, was made worse by the introduction of the pesticide DDT, and there is some controversy exactly about how DDT worked to harm the eagle populations. But either way, the populations really, really shrunk. And of course, Rachel Carson's famous book, Silent Spring, that was published in 1962. And ultimately, the pesticide was banned in the U.S. in 1972. A survey in 1963 found only 417 nesting pairs of bald eagles in the entire lower 48 states. Fortunately, the comeback of the bald eagle is one of the great conservation stories in history. Due to uh, enforcement of the Endangered Species Act, captive breeding, and a recognition that we really need to support the species, they have uh, come back and now can be found widely, as well as in Mexico, Canada, and Alaska. In fact, they are no longer considered endangered. Laura, you remember when we saw those eagles when we were in Alaska a few years ago? I sure do. I fortunately had my new telephoto lens and 
took some great pictures. It helps to be able to en- enlarge them when you're not really a professional photographer. And I will post them also on, on the website. I wanted to add, there are still some threats to uh, bald eagles. Uh, they include illegal shooting. Who would do that? Is considered the biggest threat to their safety. Also, another threat includes lead poisoning from lead shot, which is used to shoot ducks, which the eagles then uh, eat. Power lines, habitat loss, and of course, those wind farms. Peter, that's so informative. Thank you. Yeah, who doesn't love the bald eagle? That's right. Lori, recently in the news, there have been a number of really sad stories about the effects of xylitol, particularly when dogs are eating xylitol. They get very sick and sometimes die. And in fact, the FDA has just released a consumer health information bulletin talking about xylitol and dogs. And you can review this at fda.gov slash consumer. But it's a pretty comprehensive uh, warning about all the foods that contain xylitol, including chewing gum. And I'm going to talk about the specific brands of gum in just a minute, so you can be aware of that. But the xylitol is really dangerous to dogs. You know why? Because it causes a strong release of insulin from the pancreas in dogs, but not in people. And this causes profound decrease in blood sugar, and that can come on in just a few minutes and can be life-threatening. Symptoms of xylitol poisoning in dogs includes vomiting and then decreased activity, weakness, staggering, incoordination, collapse, and seizures, and death. So if you even think your dog has eaten xylitol, you want to bring him or her to the vet or animal hospital immediately. Even before showing these symptoms. Even before. And they may want to keep your dog there for 12 to 24 hours to monitor to make sure this uh, doesn't occur. And, you know, interestingly... Cats really don't care to eat xylitol, so it's not really a problem with with them. So what are some of the foods containing xylitol? Well, the items, I'll say, are some sugar-free candies, uh, toothpaste. Some human toothpaste contains xylitol, so you don't want to let your dog near that. And that's the other reason why you don't want to brush your dog's teeth with human toothpaste, by the way. Mouthwash, some nut butters. That's a new thing. Some of these nut butters have added xylitol for sweetness. But the biggest offender appears to be chewing gum. So don't let your dog near chewing gum. And mints too, right, Peter? Yeah, you bet. Some sugar-free mints are sweetened with xylitol. So here are some of the gum brands that contain xylitol. Spry gum, Epic gum, Mirident, Trident and Trident Fusion with xylitol, Trident Extra Care, Icebreakers, Ice Cube Sugar-Free, and Zelly's Xylitol Gum. So be careful. Don't let your dogs near any of those products. You know, you make a good point, too, because a lot of people think it's okay to brush their dog's teeth with human toothpaste, and it's not because of the fact that many of the toothpaste do contain xylitol. In addition, people think, well, my dog has bad breath, so I'm going to have my dog drink some mouthwash. Well, that could be dangerous as well. And finally, this is interesting news about the nut butters, Peter, because a lot of people think that, you know, any of the peanut butters, they're safe for dogs, and they may not be. So look at the labels. Hi, it's Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of Animals Today Radio, and I'd like to invite you to join me each week right here for the latest animal news from around the globe. From animals in the wild to animals on farms and in agriculture to our beloved dogs and cats, Animals Today tackles the important issues about their welfare and rights while promoting compassion and respect for all living creatures. And yes, Animals Today is your home for serious talk about animals, but there's big doses of fun and adventure for everyone. 
If you want to know what you can do to help tigers in the wild, or whether your family should adopt a tortoise, or why you should avoid buying puppies from pet stores, you will love animals today. So make sure to join us on this station each week. Visit us at animalstodayradio.com, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and join the discussion on Facebook. Thanks for listening. For the past quarter century, International Society for Animal Rights has fought the battle against dog and cat overpopulation. Its programs include reducing income taxes by allowing a deduction for spay and neuter expenses, preventing animals adopted from shelters from reproducing, and requiring the mandatory identification of dogs and cats to prevent dumping the unwanted. For a list of all ISAR overpopulation programs, please see their website at www.isaronline.org. Welcome back to Animals Today. Peter, you gave a nice historical perspective on the bald eagle. Thank you so much. I thought we would talk a little more about how eagles live. So bald eagles aren't actually bald, right? They have... I know. I've, that's always interesting. Yeah. White heads. Yeah. The bald eagle is actually one of the largest raptors in the world. The wingspan ranges from 72 to 90 inches, which is about seven feet. Isn't that amazing? Bald eagles sit at the top of the food chain. Bald eagles can fly to an altitude of 10,000 feet. And during level flight, they can achieve speeds of about 30 to 35 miles per hour. But when bald eagles attack their prey, they swoop down on them at an angle where they can reach speeds up to 100 miles per hour when diving. That's incredible. Incredible for such a large, heavy animal. I That's know. incredible. And 10,000 feet. I would have never guessed that they can get up that high. That's yeah. amazing. Bald eagles have 7,000 feathers. 7,000. That's yeah. a lot more than I would have guessed also. And who would bother to count the feathers <laughs> no. on a bald eagle? Bald eagles can live 20 to 30 years in the wild. Mm. And do you know what a baby bald eagle is called? Mm. Not an eaglet? Yes. Bald eagles eat mainly fish, but they will take advantage of carrion, which is dead and decaying flesh. Yeah, and this is one of the things that got Ben Franklin hot under the collar, it seems. Yes, and all eagles are renowned for their excellent eyesight. So I guess that's where the phrase eagle eye comes from. Mm -hmm. At around four or five years old, bald eagles will choose a mating partner through a courtship procedure. The courtship includes numerous calls and aerial displays. Once coupled, the two birds will mate for life. And only in the case where one eagle dies or disappears will the other one find a new mate. And as you mentioned earlier, causes of death of the bald eagle, fatal gunshot wounds, electrocution, poisoning, collisions with vehicles, lead ammunition, and starvation. Mm. And Lori, I just want to mention the impact on the bald eagle population from the 1989 Exxon Valdez oil spill. Do you remember that? Yeah. Well, about 247 eagles were thought to have been killed from the oil exposure. The population levels uh, decreased somewhat, not too much, and bounced back by 1995. But still, the eagles don't like oil. No birds like oil. Peter, there are over 60 different species of eagle. But as you mentioned, the bald eagle and the golden eagle are the only ones in North America. So I thought I would talk a minute or two about the difference between the two. First of all, all eagles have excellent eyesight. Both the bald eagle and golden eagle are top predators of the food webs. 
So what's the difference between bald eagle and golden eagle? Bald eagles are endemic to North America, whereas golden eagles are found everywhere in the Northern Hemisphere. The bald eagle is larger than the golden eagle in their sizes. Bald eagles have white color feathers on the head and the tail, whereas golden eagles have golden bordered feathers around the head and the back of the neck. Now, the beak of the bald eagle is slightly larger compared to the bill of the golden eagle. Hmm. The beak is completely yellow colored in bald eagles, whereas it's dark at the tip and the rest is yellow in golden eagles. Bald eagles prefer fish to others, but golden eagles feed on small mammals as well. The United States, as you clearly explained to us, chose the bald eagle as its national symbol. The people of Mexico adopted the golden eagle as their national symbol. Oh, oh, I never thought about that, but thinking about their currency, yeah, of course. And Lori, the golden eagle, its populations have been more steady than the bald eagle. They were not susceptible or not as susceptible to DDT as the bald eagles were. That's probably because they don't consume fish. They consume mammals as their primary food. So the DDT does not get concentrated in those little mammals like it does in in the fish. The golden eagle was also protected by the 1962 Act. And so these days, the main threats and the main cause of deaths to golden eagles are from human impact, such as collisions with vehicles, wind turbines and other structures, electrocution and things like that. So, Lori, do you think the Founding Fathers made a good choice in retrospect by choosing the bald eagle to be on our national seal, even though now we know the bald eagle steals the food of other animals, eats dead animals, and has low moral character? You still think the bald eagle is a good choice? I do. Franklin didn't know what he was talking about. (laughs) They have high moral character. They're very ethical birds. I think you're right. One of Franklin's missteps. Peter, you know what the first thing that pops up when you do a Google search on eagles? The band? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I I figured. (laughs) Eagles, whether they're the band or the bird, the idea of the eagle is just everywhere in our American culture. And I perhaps in Mexican and other cultures too, but so many products are designed or named after eagles, the connection with excellent vision, we always hear about that. I mean, eagles are everywhere in our culture, on our currency. They're, eagles are everywhere. Yes, it's pretty rewarding when your patients tell you that you've given them the eyes of an eagle. Oh, that's nice. Have you seen the cartoons of the great seal being modified to give it a Trump-style bald head instead? No. So there's a, a, now there's a golden hair on our bald eagle in cartoons. Oh, they're going to ruin our emblem. And major support for Animals Today Radio comes from International Society for Animal Rights. For decades, ISAR has been a world leader in the battle against dog and cat overpopulation and its moral, social, and economic costs. Please visit their website at www.isaronline.org. China has agreed to shut down its commercial ivory trade. That's right. By the end of 2017, trading ivory will no longer be legal anywhere in the country. This piece of wonderful news was brought about by a lot of pressure over a long time, including the investment of more than $3 million for an ad campaign by the group WildAid, featuring Yao Ming, basketball player. 
A number of factors led to the Chinese taking this action, including their desire to strengthen their relationships with Africa. It became clear that they could no longer say this is just an African problem when the biggest world market is indeed in China, where carving of the ivory is a fine art, and also where ivory is used to fuel a lot of corrupt activities. The president of China is trying very hard to root out government corruption. So overall, it's really good for the Chinese image and obviously good for the elephants. So the country of Japan will be the only country where ivory trade will be permitted. So that is our next target. You're listening to Animals Today. Hi, it's Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of Animals Today Radio, and I'd like to invite you to join me each week right here for the latest animal news from around the globe. From animals in the wild to animals on farms and in agriculture to our beloved dogs and cats, Animals Today tackles the important issues about their welfare and rights while promoting compassion and respect for all living creatures. And yes, Animals Today is your home for serious talk about animals, but there's big doses of fun and adventure for everyone. If you want to know what you can do to help tigers in the wild, or whether your family should adopt a tortoise, or why you should avoid buying puppies from pet stores, you will love Animals Today. So make sure to join us on this station each week. Visit us at animalstodayradio.com, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and join the discussion on Facebook. Thanks for listening. Hi, it's Dr. Lori from Animals Today Radio, and today's Animals Today fun facts are about octopuses. Did you know the oldest octopus fossil was from an animal that lived 296 million years ago? And you can see that fossil at the Field Museum in Chicago. Octopuses have three hearts, one of which supplies blood to the organs, and the other two work to supply the gills. And their blood is a blue color, which transports oxygen better at cold temperatures and in low oxygen waters. And there are your Animals Today fun facts for today. you that the show is a project of the nonprofit animal welfare organization advancing the interests of animals. Their website is aianimals.org. Check them out, see what you think, and consider donating if you like what you see and you want to help support the ongoing production of the show. And you can listen to any of our prior shows by going to our website animalstodayradio.com and you can also subscribe on iTunes and be able to listen on your mobile device. Each year on August 20th, World Mosquito Day is observed. Now, we have been talking about eagles thus far in today's show, but to get a deeper understanding of eagle welfare and conservation, you really need to know about the connections between eagles and the pesticide DDT. Here's how I broke it down last year. August 20th was World Mosquito Day. World Mosquito Day was first established in 1897 when the link between mosquitoes and malaria transmission was discovered by Sir Ronald Ross. And because today is World Mosquito Day, I thought we'd talk a bit about mosquitoes. Now, if you listen to the news at all, you probably know we're still fighting against diseases that are transmitted by mosquitoes. And I'm going to talk about the Zika virus disease in a few minutes because that's the one everyone's talking about now. But it's interesting that here we are more than a century later, and malaria is still one of the most severe public health problems worldwide and the leading cause of death and disease in many developing countries. 
Now, here's just a few facts about malaria, according to the World Health Organization. Malaria is a life-threatening disease caused by parasites that are transmitted to people through the bites of infected female Anopheles mosquitoes. In 2015, 95 countries and territories had ongoing malaria transmission. About 3.2 billion people, almost half of the world's population, are at risk of malaria. Sub-Saharan Africa carries a disproportionately high share of the global malaria burden. In 2015, the region was home to 88% of malaria cases and 90% of malaria deaths. Individuals at higher risk of contracting malaria and developing more severe disease include infants, children under five years of age, pregnant women, and patients with HIV or AIDS, as well as non-immune migrants, mobile populations, and travelers. Now, let's go back in time a bit and talk about the history of the pesticide DDT, because as you might know, it was widely used decades ago in the U.S. and Europe to fight against malaria. In addition, the use of DDT was and still is highly controversial. DDT, or dichlorodiphenyl trichloroethane, was created in 1874 by a German chemist, but at the time, it wasn't found to be an effective insecticide. And it wasn't until 1939 when its usefulness to attack pests like mosquitoes was discovered by Swiss chemist Paul Mueller. In fact, Mueller won the 1948 Nobel Prize, quote, for his discovery of the high efficiency of DDT as a contact poison against several arthropods. So this was right around the time of World War II, and because DDT is a pesticide, it was widely used in agriculture. But it also had huge public health achievements. For example, during World War II, there was an epidemic of typhus, which was spread by the human body lice. Typhus killed thousands of prisoners in the Nazi German concentration camps, and DDT, being a pesticide, would kill the lice and was used to de-louse people who were liberated from the German death camps. We also use DDT to prevent disease in our soldiers, since our U.S. servicemen in Europe were also infected by lice. And as I mentioned, DDT was used against malaria. And in 1955, the U.S. employed anti-malaria programs and widely used DDT in the U.S. and Europe. That pretty much wiped out malaria by killing the mosquitoes that carried the disease. Now, in 1962, author and environmentalist Rachel Carson came out with her book, Silent Spring, which talked about the disastrous effect of DDT upon wildlife and pretty much blamed environmental destruction on pesticides such as DDT. Silent Spring, the, the title of her book, implying that the birds are dying off because they are being killed by DDT, so spring would be silent since the birds would not be singing. She also claimed that there was a link between DDT and the significantly reduced populations of the bald eagle, and birds that had ingested the DDT were found to lay eggs with thinned eggshells, and these unhealthy, diseased shells would not allow many eaglets to survive and thrive, and thus that accounted for the plummeting eagle population. Well, this book started freaking people out about DDT, right? I mean, DDTs destroy nature, fish, our wildlife, birds, it's harming humans, and pretty much because of her claims in the book, along with air and water pollution running rampant at the time, the environmental movement was born and triggered the formation of the Environmental Protection Agency, or the EPA. And guess what? 
one of the first acts of the EPA was to ban DDT. So in 1972, DDT was banned in the U.S. It was also banned in many other countries. It's still used in some developing countries today. Now, this ban set in motion a major controversy. On the one hand, you got those who thought that DDT was just the greatest thing because it helped fight off disease and people, and this ban would be a death sentence to millions of people. And on the other hand, you have those who thought banning DDT was the right thing because it was hurting the environment and possibly hurting people as well because it's a pesticide. And I'll tell you, 44 years later, after the ban, the controversy continues. And especially now, because we're still dealing with other mosquito-borne or transmitted illnesses like West Nile virus, and we're in the midst of a Zika virus crisis. One of the outspoken individuals calling for the DDT ban to be lifted so we can start using DDT to fight against the Zika virus is Dr. Jane Orient. Dr. Jane Orient is the executive director of the American Association of Physicians and Surgeons and is a member of Doctors for Disaster Preparedness. Dr. Orient claims that the Zika virus is the result of the DDT ban, and it's time to end the ban so we can use it as an effective weapon against the disease. She attributes the 1972 DDT ban to environmental hysteria triggered by events like Rachel Carson's book, Silent Spring. She thinks there are many problems with the book, including presenting flawed and inaccurate evidence that DDT was harmful to the environment. The book alleged that DDT was a carcinogen. Dr. Orion says that the pesticide DDT has never been proven to be harmful to humans. It does not cause Alzheimer's or, or cancer, as the book or many would claim. And she says the evidence showing DDT was thinning bald eagle eggshells was flawed. The environmentalists and supporters of the ban would claim that DDT was killing off the peregrine falcon and caused it to be a threatened species. But Dr. Orient argued that wasn't true. The peregrine falcon was threatened because people were shooting them. I also read somewhere that the book claims that because of DDT, the robin was, quote, on the verge of extinction. And Carson ignored the Audubon Society's annual bird count, which showed there were no fewer birds in the years prior to her writing her book. So we know DDT reduced the number of deaths caused by yellow fever, malaria, and other mosquito-borne illnesses. Dr. Orion states that DDT was credited with saving 500 million or half a billion human lives, and it was the most effective weapon against malaria ever. And millions of people die in poor countries everywhere because of the DDT ban. So her point is, here we are in the midst of a Zika crisis, and instead of lifting the DDT ban so we can use the pesticide to fight this disease off, we're telling people, okay, do what you can to avoid mosquito bites. Use insect repellent, wear long sleeve clothing, apply mosquito repellent, don't get pregnant, and we're spending millions of dollars aggressively pursuing a potential vaccine to combat the Zika virus. And yet we're refusing to employ DDT to deal with this problem. Furthermore, she says, why work on a vaccine that will be very expensive and perhaps not effective when you can use this inexpensive, safe and effective means, DDT, which is out there and available, which can kill many diseases by killing the carrier itself, the mosquito. This out of the Animal Welfare Institute and the Animal Defense League of Arizona, they have just uh, launched a digital campaign designed to discourage people from buying tickets to this new dolphin 
park called Dolphinaris, which is in Phoenix. It is owned and operated by Mexico-based Ventura Entertainments, and it's the first captive dolphin attraction to be built in the States in a decade. And interestingly, it sits on property of the Salt River Pima Maricopa Indian Community Tribe, and so members of the public had almost no opportunity to influence or prevent it from being built because it's on tribal land, Mm. right? In fact, Stephanie Nichols-Young, who is president of Animal Defense League of Arizona, said, quote, we were stunned to learn that a captive swim and dolphin facility was going up in Arizona. It's the wrong place and the wrong time for this attraction. Isn't that interesting? And this particular park, it's, they're only 10 feet deep, and they have almost no shade. Oh, that's so sad. these poor dolphins are just going to be baking in their little tanks. Anyway, this campaign features a really neat short animated video called Dolphins Born to be Wild. It's only 20 seconds. It's really, really powerful. And you can uh, find it online or, or the link is at the Animal Welfare Institute website. It's, uh, it's a real reminder about the stress and misery holding captive dolphins for our entertainment. Don't go away. More of Animals Today right after the break. Listening to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of the show. Well, I'm proud to say we are now in our ninth year of weekly broadcasts, bringing you timely and critical animal news from all corners of the earth. Join us each week as we explore animal welfare and animal rights issues, as well as fun pet topics with fascinating guests and experts. And if you don't catch the show live on your local radio station, you can listen two other ways by going to the Animals Today website, www.animalstodayradio.com, or as a podcast on iTunes. It is so easy to subscribe on iTunes. And when you do, each week, usually on Sunday, a fresh show will download right onto your device. Pretty cool. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner, and thanks for listening. So I saw this article in Bloomberg Business the other day. You know, nothing shocks me anymore about how badly we humans treat animals and the many ways we devise to kill and abuse them. So the next brilliant idea is described in the article titled, In South Africa, Ranchers Are Breeding Mutant Animals to Be Hunted. And the article goes on to tell how the specially bred golden new or wildebeest are especially prized by rich hunters. They pay almost $50,000 for a chance to hunt one of the animals that rarely occur in nature. The owner of one hunting ranch east of Johannesburg breeds various animals with unusual features for which the hunters will pay a premium to go after. Joe Mealy with Committee to Abolish Sport Hunting is with us on the show. Welcome, Joe. Thanks for having me on, Dr. Laurie. I appreciate uh, the opportunity you give us. Joe, just a few weeks ago, we recently had you on the show talking about other types of canned hunting operations. Are these kinds of game ranches different in any way? 
They're different um, in that the species being bred and hunted are different. Um, in North America, specifically the United States and, and, and Texas, to narrow it down a bit more, you'll have canned hunting ranches that feature bears, elk, deer, other North American wildlife. In South Africa, the canned hunting ranches uh, feature lions, rhinos, wildebeest, uh, animals that are native to that area. So other than the species that are being killed, there's really no difference. Joe, proponents of canned hunting ranches say that without these businesses, many species would be extinct or near extinction. In fact, the ranch owner mentioned in the article said, quote, my first priority is to generate an income from the animals on my land, but conservation is a byproduct of what I do. What do you think about this? The old, they're better off with us than in the wild excuse. You know, we hear these kinds of comments from zoos all the time that they serve a valuable purpose because their breeding programs ensure that the animals will not fall into extinction. But at what price does that come? And is that really what we want? Do we want wildlife that no longer lives wild and free? You know, if an animal exists only on a hunting ranch or in a zoo, they're functionally extinct in the wild and the natural world feels the effect of their loss. You know, so keeping rhinos in a cage in a zoo or on a hunting ranch really does nothing to help the animals that they had a symbiotic relationship with in nature. It only helps those whose bank accounts are padded uh, from their being bred and sold at auction to the highest bidder. It seems sort of silly to me to hear these claims that such businesses contribute to the preservation of wildlife species. Uh, Joe, aside from the obvious that the animals are killed for recreation, do the animals bred by these ranches suffer in any way? I mean, literally they are creating freaks of nature and certainly the breeders have no real idea what they are doing except to create something novel looking. Oh, of course. You know, when you breed animals for certain traits, you're also breeding in undesirable characteristics and conditions in them. We see this all the time with dog and cat breeding how German shepherds are prone to conditions like hip dysplasia and many Dalmatians are deaf. Persian cats have dental disorders and polycystic kidney disease. The list goes on. Uh, With these hunting ranches, when they breed white lions, they really don't care about their skin diseases and cancers that become more likely. Uh, Impala that are bred to be black and other colors are far more susceptible to heat stroke and other skin conditions from the sun. These breeding facilities really do have nothing to do with conservation because these, not only are these animals not free, but if they were to be free, uh, they were to escape, which is inevitable, they'll be easy prey for predators since these mutations make them desirable. Excuse me, since the mutations that make them desirable to hunters uh, leave them with no natural camouflage to protect them against predators. Uh, it's not natural selection. It's genetic manipulation and exploitation. Oh, well stated. And what what are some of the other problems this industry creates? There are plenty of other problems. Um, These ranches are just another form of farming and ranching, uh, you know, and the animals are nothing more than livestock. There's no natural predator-prey relationship uh, because any predators capable of impacting the profitability of these businesses are eliminated as soon as they find their way onto the ranch. Um, you can make a case that these operations contribute to famine in the areas where they, where they exist. Uh, this, 
their immense success, and you mentioned the obscene amount of money these hunters pay to kill these animals, uh, this kind of encourages farmers who are growing crops for human food to consider converting their land over to hunting ranches. You can make far more money raising mutant animals to kill than growing sweet potatoes and greens. And just like other canned hunting ranches in the United States and other countries, a lot of hunting groups do oppose them. Uh, when we're talking about mutant African wildlife, the South American Hunters and Game Association says that breeding mutant animals amounts to unnatural manipulation of wildlife. So these kinds of places appear, appeal, I should say, to very few people, only the, the wealthy few that have the billions of dollars to keep them thriving. Joe, in your opinion, why do these places appeal to people? There's, unfortunately, there's... Uh, what I believe is a very troubled segment of society that enjoys killing and enjoys inflicting pain and suffering on helpless animals. I, I really think the psychological community should take a deeper look into what drives these people and really try to address this as what I believe is a mental illness and a sickness. These people need help. They're not normal. You know, when young children are raised, their, their instincts are to be compassionate towards animals. Yet, for some reason, these people grow up to be the, the complete opposite. I mean, who needs to kill a giraffe? Who needs to kill an elephant? Who needs to kill a bear? It, it, it's, it's so unnecessary, and to see their faces, their smiling faces as they pose with these dead animals, it's, it's really very like when you read serial killers, how they, how they enjoy killing their prey who happen to be human. You know, the only difference in, in the minds of many is that killing animals is legal. Yeah, there's certainly something to be said about people who get enjoyment and pleasure out of killing a beautiful animal. Um, Joe, how can people get in touch with you and Cash? You, well, thanks for asking. You can check us out on Facebook. Um, just put in a committee to abolish sport hunting and our page will come up. Uh, and feel free to participate. Tell me that you think I'm right on the mark or tell me that you think I'm off my rocker, whatever you whatever you feel. Uh, you can also check out our website at www.abolishsporthunting.org and you can get in touch with us that way. Thanks, Joe. You are right on the mark. Thanks, Dr. Laurie. I love being on your show. And thank you for listening to Animals Today. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals. Your Animals Today tip of the day has to do with kittens. If you find a litter of newborn or very young kittens, do not assume the mother has abandoned them. If they are not clearly in distress, their mother is probably hunting for food or in the process of moving them. She may even be hiding nearby until you've gone. You should leave the kittens alone for a couple hours and stay far enough away so the mother feels safe to return. If she doesn't return and you're absolutely convinced they are abandoned, contact your local cat rescue group and ask for advice about your particular situation. And that is your Animals Today tip of the day. 